Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. This time around, I have a really amazing discussion with Glenn Dewis about two very important things, personal projects and printing. I had a wonderful opportunity to sit down with my good friend Glenn Dewis to talk about a number of things, one of which is a personal project that he's been working on and how he rediscovered the joys of printing. So we'll get to that chat in just a second, but first let me give you some background information on Glenn. He is a photographer and number one best-selling author of the Photoshop Workbook published by Peach Pit Press. Photograph Like a Thief, and The Photoshop Toolbox, published by Rocky Nook. In 2017, Glenn was awarded Adobe Max Master following his presentations in Las Vegas of that year and is also a member of the Photoshop World Dream Team of Instructors. Having been featured in the New York Times for a photography technique he calls the invisible black background, Glenn regularly shares both photography and post-production techniques on his YouTube channel, website, and at photography conferences around the world. Glenn is currently working on a World War II portrait project called the 3945 Portraits Project, where he's currently traveling around the UK, photographing and interviewing surviving World War II veterans, the purpose of which is to honor and remember our surviving World War II veterans by photographing as many of them as possible in order to provide both them and their families with classic timeless portraits they treasure and will remain in their families for generations to come and to sensitively educate the current and future young generations about the events of World War II and those who served survived and were lost so that their memories and sacrifices are never forgotten and such events may never happen again here's my chat with Glenn okay we're here with Glenn Dewis recording live at Photoshop World and Glenn agreed very nicely to sit down and chat about a few things. And there's two specific things I really want to talk to you about. One is the benefit of doing a personal project. And we mm -hmm. talked about this personally a little bit, going well beyond the technical side of what you're learning. So let's talk about that first. And then okay. just to foreshadow the other part we're going to talk about is I want to talk to you about is the importance of printing and mm -hmm. how that's become something that's my impression is it's become a bit of a passion for you to, <laughs> to do that printing. So first of all, Tell us a little about the personal project you've been working on in the last, whatever, it's been a year or so. Yeah, it must be about a year now. Yeah, it kind of, uh, and it came from nowhere. It's a, it's, it's a project where I'm basically going around the country. It's, it's predominantly the UK at the moment, photographing World War II veterans. And it's not necessarily veterans who uh, were on the front line. It's veterans, both male and female, who in any capacity served in the forces during the time of World War II. And it kind of started out that I wanted to... You know the old saying of there's no such thing as a free lunch? Right. I kind of tell people, well, I actually think there is, because what I wanted <laughs> to do was, a few things had happened uh, it, with friends of mine, and it became really obvious to me, more than anything, it was almost like a slap around the face that was kind of making me think, photos are so massively important. It's so much more to photography than photographing nice people in nice locations. Mm -hmm. Photographs mean more to people. So I thought, you know what, what can I do that can be really meaningful? So then I started to photograph World War II veterans, basically because I wanted to make sure that they had a really good portrait of themselves that I could give to them and that their family could keep for generations to come. And it was something personal, completely self-funded, and it's kind of just grown. Mm -hmm. And that's without any intention for that to happen, it's just grown now. And it's just, it is without doubt the best thing I've ever done mm -hmm. in all the time I've been doing photography. And as corny as it sounds, 
it almost feels like all the stuff that I've done over the years that we've known each other leading up to this point has been almost like an apprenticeship <laughs> for me to do this. Sure. It really feels like I should be doing it. And I think one of, the, one of the many very cool things to me about that is some people have vision of, I'm going to start this project and it's going to become this great thing. But it yeah. seems like that wasn't at all the case for you. It was just, I want to do this for these one or two people. And it just kind of started gaining momentum and totally. growing. There, there was never a kind of feeling of, oh, if I do this, then something else could come from it. I've never, ever had that. And in fact, that was one of the things I was talking about in a talk I did this morning was to say to people that if you're going out there to do a project and you're kind of trying to tell people that it's, this is because I want to do this, you know, I feel like we should, it's important we do this. People aren't stupid when they, and they'll realize that really your intentions mm -hmm. are that you're thinking what's in it for me. So I said to people, if, if you're going into a personal project with the intention of what's in it for me, then it's the wrong project. It's, you know, because I really think that, you know, projects need to be something that is taking the focus off you, you focus on somebody else, and things will happen anyway. Sure. But if your focus is what's in it for me, then I, I, just, I, just, I just think that's wrong. And, um, yeah, people aren't stupid. You don't take advantage of people. Right, and I think part of it, too, is that, and you've already alluded to it, is that the personal satisfaction, so it still becomes a personal thing, but yeah. it's more the personal satisfaction of seeing someone's reaction when yeah. you give them that portrait and you get that genuine reaction of, oh my there, gosh. There this is, is nothing yeah. like it. Money cannot buy the feeling you get when you give somebody a portrait of themselves. And they, especially with the projects I'm doing, because it's really hard sometimes. You give them their picture and their reaction is that thankfully they really are happy with it and they love it. And then they follow that up with, this will be lovely for the family to keep when I'm gone. I'm mm. like, don't be saying that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But right. I mean, some of the reactions, yeah. they really are proper emotional reactions. I imagine many of them, it's been many years since they've actually had a, a real portrait, not yeah. just a snapshot taken. That's right, yeah, because a lot of the pictures they have taken are when they've gone to anniversaries. Like we've recently had the 75th anniversary of D-Day, and a lot of the pictures I'll have of themselves on their walls in their houses when I go in will be when they've been at these events. They've never, you know, I would say probably 99.9% .9 of all the people I'm seeing so far, none of them have ever had an official photo shoot. And it makes them feel special because there are some people I've experienced, or I've met who've have kind of like they felt a little bit left out that nobody seems interested in what they did all those years ago. But by doing this project, I'm giving them a little bit of focus, giving some quality time to them, and it makes them feel good. Now along the way, it's some interesting things have happened. Not just the individual reactions, but things like isn't something like with the the post office or stamps oh, or the something? Royal Mint, yeah. I got contact. There was a there was a um, obviously with the anniversary of D Day, the seventy fifth anniversary, the Royal Mint back in the UK, these are the people that create well the coins basically that we use. And they always create commemorative coins that collectors around the world will buy for, you know, they're not cheap by any mm -hmm. means. And they were releasing a coin because it just so happens that the 75th anniversary of D-Day also coincided with the 50th anniversary of the 50 pence piece. Mm. Um, so they were creating a number of these commemorative 50 pence pieces and one of them was for the D-Day. So it just so happens that, and this is the great thing about social media, because sometimes you think, oh, social media. <laughs> but it just so happens that they followed me. One of the guys that worked there followed me on Facebook. And he told me that the Royal Mint were having this meeting about they need to find photographs that they can use for this new coin and all that stuff, whatever. And this guy's in the meeting. He says, I follow a guy called Glyn Dewis and he's doing the projects <laughs> nice. on his veterans. And next thing you know, 
they contact me, they licensed images, they paid for the licenses on the images of those. That was used and I've got a copy, which I'm, you know, I love it. Mm -hmm. And since then they've now licensed three more images for picture, for coins that'll be released throughout the year. Beautiful. So, and, and, it's, and this is what I mean by, you know, you don't go into these things thinking, like it was like you said, I hope that this will lead to a yeah, coin exactly. being made. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> who'd have thought that? I'd never would have thought mm -hmm. that. But it's, it's, it's lovely that it has. And there's other things, other things kind of spinning off from it now, which is obviously great, but it was never the intention. And, and another thing that I think was really interesting was sort of the fundraising aspect where there were mm. a couple of particular cases of a veteran that was perhaps more down on his luck than some That's others right, and yeah, it yeah. kind of turned into a, a fundraising. Uh, yeah, that was quite incredible. It did go a little bit sour in some areas because the press is, you know, the press. they misinterpreted it <laughs> because no news is good news. But yeah, I mean, the long story short is we raised, people all over the world contributed. It was just incredible. Again, it shows the strength of social media. But I did a GoFundMe, which I've never done before. And in 10 days, we raised 17,000 pounds. And my intention was only ever to raise like 1,500 pounds mm -hmm. to pay this guy's rent for the year. But 17,000 in 10 days, it just got a little bit, wow, this is, <laughs> this is really powerful. I mean, we, there was two kids, I remember I got a letter through, two kids in, um, in Norway, 15 and 12, and they donated their pocket money. Do you know what I mean? It's just amazing, amazing, it really mm, yes, was. Yeah. So the great thing with that was because we raised far more than we ever expected, we kind of split it 50-50 so that the guy, Ted, he ended up getting, you know, roughly eight and a half thousand pounds and he could do all sorts of stuff with that, like get himself a scooter to make himself more mobile because being elderly, he struggles mm -hmm. to move around a bit. And then the other half was given to a charity called the Veterans Charity, which is a charity that I support through this project. And they deal with veterans who are in immediate need because veterans being veterans are very sure. proud people. And if they're in hard times, they, it takes them a lot of courage and mm -hmm. a lot of time to speak up. And you know, he's got. I've heard stories of veterans who are young veterans who've gone without food for four days, and and this charity, they are like, if they hear about it or they get contacted, they deal with that straight away. So that money's going to be able to help that, which is, which feels great. Which for me, is a benefit I never, you know, thought was going to come in. But by me doing that stuff, I'm getting far more out of this than people maybe even realise. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a monetary gain. It's just, you know, it's a real, real feel-good factor. One of the stories you told me yesterday that I thought was really interesting was that it's also become not just a, I went to meet this fellow, took his portrait, gave it to him, the yeah. end. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm in your neighborhood. Can I pop around for some tea? And they're like, sure. And I think yeah, that's, yeah. It's that's kind a of really wonderful it, aspect of it. It's making it more than just photography because what I didn't want to do with this was, just like you say there, just, you know, you make the contact, you go into the person's house, you take the picture, you've got what you want, mm -hmm. and they never see you again. I never wanted it to be like that. I mean, I, I have got, all over the country, I've got the oldest friends possible. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? But it's brilliant. I, li I literally will go and I'll do their photographs and I make a point of not necessarily, if I can help it, I don't post them it's rare that I do that but I will make a point of going back with the picture because it's another chance for me to meet them and I like that and you start to build a relationship and you're quite right there was one I delivered a picture the other day to a guy called Mervyn Kirsch and he lives about 10 minutes away from another veteran called Tom Schaefer that I know and I called, called Tom to say look I'm gonna be in the area do you fancy going for breakfast and tomorrow morning I love that. He must have been thrilled too, uh, because I'm sure he doesn't get that well it doesn't I, and it's yeah because one thing as well there's a lot of these folks that live on their own and uh, it really gets you sometimes, really does wrench at the old heart because I remember, you know, there's more than once I've kind of gone to say to to these folks, you shake their hand, but rather than just shaking the hand with one, they grab your hand with both hands mm. when they're saying to and you just know that he does not want me to go. <laughs> this guy's lonely, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So I love the fact that I can ring them up and have a chat and uh, it's, it's more than photography. Sure. It really is. Now, early on before you 
started this project, I remember you were kind of doing some, it was almost like, if I remember correctly, it was almost like people dressed in World War II, but they weren't necessarily veterans. They were that's just right. like reenactors or something. That's right, yeah. And you were developing kind of a look. And that's is that part of what led to the thought of doing it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, I was... Um, I'd always been told that it's a good thing to have personal projects. And the first project I did was to do with animals. It was me photographing animals. And it, that kind of... It kind of it faded out because it maybe wasn't something that I, I should have been doing. I don't know. But then I saw a film, and it was called uh, Dad's Army. Hmm. And for those who don't know, Dad's Army is... A, it used to be a series back in the UK, around the si late 60s into the 70s. And it was a... A, document, a weekly weekly kind of comedy about a group of people, and, and they're, they're called Dad's Army. Their actual real name is the Home Guard, and they are people who were too old, too young, or too unwell to go and fight on the front line during World War II. So they remained at home to protect the home front. And uh, I saw this movie. It was brilliant, really funny. They'd done a great job with it. And I said to a friend of mine called Barry, I says, I'd love to photograph people like that, real characters. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, you do realise there's a, a, a reenactment group nearby, don't you? I was like... No. <laughs> and it's, this is what was amazing. You start to do stuff, and then all these other little things you start to find out in your local area. There's stuff on your doorstep you don't have an idea about. So uh, I got in touch with this group called the Oxfordshire Home Guard Living History Group, and I went to go and visit them. And you can imagine, obviously, they've been photographed so many times at events when they go and do stuff. So I was thinking, how am I going to get around photographing them so they don't think it's just another photographer mm -hmm. doing another picture? So I went there armed with um, pictures on my computer of work by photographers that I loved and you know examples of work by Annie Leibovitz, Mark Seliger, Albert Watson and what have you predominantly Annie Leibovitz and I kind of said to them right because the one guy there he says right we've got a photographer here he uh, <laughs> wants to speak to us about doing some photos over to you <laughs> and it's like oh god blimey so I'm that's quite an intro <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of stood up and they're all sat around this long table all dressed in the old 1940s clothing and I said, right, okay, so what I would like, I said, I'm really aware that you'd have been photographed many times. I said, but this is what I want to do. And I showed them the examples of the work by Annie Leibovitz that I really liked. And they could then see what they were going to get. Rather than me trying to say, I want to take a picture. Mm -hmm. and No matter how much I explained it to them, they would always compare it to what they've got already. Right. You know or they're I mean? just so imagining, oh, yeah, it's, an, it's another picture. Exactly. Yeah. But my, I said, this is what I want to do with you. And they were like, oh, <laughs> like that. Because they could see what mm -hmm. they wanted to get. So sure enough, Two weeks later, because they have their meetings every two weeks, that following two weeks, I turned up and uh, they brought loads of artifacts from the 40s that they generally take to all the events they do. And we ended up doing the photo shoot. And it kind of progressed from there. And by doing those, that led to something else and led to something else. And, you know, here we are today with me doing this project. Nice. Now, as part of that, I'm obviously there was the, the photography and the setup, but uh, you, you developed kind of a, your own little bit of a signature look from a mm -hmm. post-processing standpoint, like yep. Lightroom presets, or how did you do that? It was uh, lookup tables. I'm, I'm, I'm a okay. huge fan of lookup table adjustments in, in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love them. I, I do so little in Lightroom. I really do. Hmm. Um, I'm, Photoshop is my, kind of my happy place, you know? It was just one of those, I didn't even know that we had them in Photoshop, and I was just tinkering around one day, as you do sometimes. I think you probably actually told me mm -hmm. to do this. When a new update comes out, you dive into things. Right, what's this? What's that? Yeah. What does that do if I take it to 100 <laughs> and what have you? Mm -hmm. So eventually I saw this thing. I thought, what on earth is that? And it's like a three-by-three three grid in the adjustments. And I thought, mm, click on that. Look up table adjustments. Click on them. Oh, that's awful. But then you think, hold on a second, that's an adjustment layer. I've got opacity, I've mm -hmm. got blend modes. And I'd literally just started experimenting and building up a number of these adjustments and if I'm honest, what I did was, first of all, I had examples of the pictures that I liked by, you know, like I mentioned already, Annie Leibovitz or whatever. And I tried to recreate the color that, that was in her pictures. 
But by doing so, I started to stumble across a recipe and it kind of went off at a tangent. I thought, actually, I've created something I, like I really like here, yeah. <laughs> and that's basically how I got to my colouring. So mm. I don't use like curves or, I used to use plugins, but this I just find is, is just so, so easy to use. And uh, I just love creating these recipes using those. So once you've done, so you're using lookup tables and then that's something you've then just, the next photograph, you're just basically applying those same ones? Yeah, it's, um, I don't use, I don't, although I've shown people how you can actually, you know, create the, the color look that you want for your picture and then you can export that lookup table right. to create a one file. Obviously the disadvantage of that is it's not, you can't really adjust it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it creates a single file. So I actually do go the long way around. I think it's because I've done it so many times. I can kind of do that color within literally, you know, a minute and, sure. I'm, and I'm kind of there. But it's a case-by-case -case basis because sometimes the colouring, like there's one of the guys I photographed recently, he was wearing, he was like a beef eater, you know, the old beef eaters that we have in London there. He's mm -hmm. a veteran, he's 100 years of age, and he's got the traditional red coat on. Now, by me applying the look that I would normally do at 100% of its strength, it just didn't look good with that red. Sure. So by me applying those individual lookups, I could just tweak it a little bit so it worked well with him. That makes sense. And then what I'll do is I'll put them all, I get, once I've done those adjustments, no matter how many there are, and there's other things in there like black and white adjustments just to mute it a little bit. I put them all into a group, I add a layer mask to it, and then I get a black brush at 100% opacity and I paint it completely off the skin. And then I just use the density slider mm. to reduce it down to 50, just to take it off the skin a bit, sure. because otherwise at full strength it doesn't look so good. Interesting, nice. So just to kind of wrap up this segment, if someone listening was thinking, I've heard people talk about you should do personal projects, mm. and, and again, doesn't really matter for the purpose of this discussion, whether it's photography or just something in Photoshop or a combination, what would you suggest if someone's just sort of going, trying to brainstorm and like, how do I think of something that, that will become not just, well, maybe it'll be boats, but they just, yeah. they're sort of picking a random topic as opposed to something that will hopefully become something they have more of a personal attachment to. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really surprised if somebody could start doing a project and that be it, end up being the one that they want to stick with. Because like, look at me with the animals one. Mm -hmm. I started doing a project and then that kind of faded out and I was naturally drawn to doing this particular one. But I guess as a, as a starter for 10, I would say, look, if you can't think of what you want to do, you know, was there a sport you did when you were younger that maybe you're still interested in? Is there somebody in the local area? Are there people in your local area that go out, uh, that do good deeds? I don't know, is there, is there, I remember, I remember ages ago, somebody actually did a project and it was called Who's Knocking at the Door? And what they did was, they, they literally set up in their spare room downstairs, a light, a background, and the tripod and the camera. So anytime anybody came to their door, <laughs> they'd say, oh, right, now That's come in and take a quick picture. So it was the postman, it was all sorts of people. But I thought, what a great That's project. That's really fun, yeah. So it can be anything random, but the mm -hmm. idea, the, you know, the thing is, just take the pictures, start doing something. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah, I think something. part of it then that suggests that it's just, like you said with your animal one, even though it faded out, it got you in kind of the habit of yeah developing and what's next and let's do another one as opposed to just taking an image and going oh that's fun yeah but because because what i used to find was before i had the project you know you kind of every single week or whatever you'd think oh, i've got to take some pictures i have done the for anything for ages so you'd scratch your head and think oh no i've got a mate here who's pretty good looking right i'll get him in the studio and take some photos so you do the pictures and then the next week it's the same old thing mm -hmm. again right now what do i do but with a project it's ongoing and what's great is even when you're not thinking about it, you actually are. So you could be driving somewhere and you'll just see something and go, oh, that would be fantastic mm -hmm. to photograph for the project. But you weren't actually thinking about right. it, but no, it's just in your subconscious. It's a really powerful thing to do. It really is. And I, I remember 
many years ago at Photoshop World, Joe Glida did a presentation that was really interesting because he talked about, he called them self-assignments, which uh -huh. meant it was a little more short-term, but he would literally pick a random word like circles. Yeah. And then he'd just walk around, and for that next couple of hours, he would just shoot as much as he could that fit in that theme or shadow. You remember that one he did with the, the, the chain? It's like a plug chain. Right, yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, that because that challenges your creativity when yeah. you're, like, if you're topic for that afternoon is like shadows then you got to go looking but to not just go okay there's a shadow of a tree but how can i yeah, yeah. find a way to be more creative about it? and i thought that was a also a brilliant idea of a way to get your creative juices kind of flowing not the, quite the same as a personal project mm -hmm. but at least as a way to solve that question you were talking about as well okay i did a portrait now what do i do yeah and if, and if, if anything if somebody can't think of a project uh, yesterday we were doing the old portfolio reviews and there was a guy there called Ted and I was looking through his stuff and he had this amazing picture. It was almost like it shouldn't have been in that portfolio because it's like, how have you done this and then done this? <laughs> but this black and white picture was amazing. And I literally said to him something that Joel said to me years ago. I said to him, right, that there is fantastic. Go out and do a series of 15 of those. You know, 15 images of that particular style. And there you go. So at least mm -hmm. that's something for him to focus on. Sure. It might not necessarily be a personal project, but it's still what you're saying then about keeping the creative juices going. Mm -hmm. It's making him kind of improving his skill. It's keeping it the project in, or the, what he's doing always in the back of his mind, and he's developing. And then that could lead to something else. But you just don't know unless you start. Right. And I think the other offshoot, my regular listeners will be like, "Here he goes again talking about practicing." But I'm always harping oh, on people yeah. that practice is everything, not just with your camera, but with whether you're using Lightroom or Photoshop or any combination. The more you practice, then it becomes, it takes less time because you open a photograph and you already know what you need to do instead exactly. of staring at it and going, now what do I do? So if that personal project or that self-assignment of shadows, ultimately you take all the photos and go, well, that was fun, and you dump them, you've still learned something exactly, and you've still yeah. had that yeah. opportunity to practice. That's right. Cool. All right, we're going to continue this chat in just a moment, but first... It's time for the tip of the week. This time around, I want to talk to you about something called variables, which is a really interesting, somewhat hidden part of Photoshop, kind of like doing a mail merge, for those of you who remember mail merges, but for graphics. And what you can do is set up a template in Photoshop using regular layers and type layers and things like that, but those become placeholders that are replaced with a series of graphics. So for example, let's say you're doing a whole series of business cards where most information was the same, like the name of the company and the address, but on each business card, you wanted to put the person's photo, their name, their title, their extension, etc. Instead of doing that manually, you'd set that up as one of these templates that you define the variable items and then merge it with a text file. Now, it's way too challenging to try and describe here just in the tip of the week, but what I have for you is a link to a tutorial I've done on this very topic, if you go to bit.ly forward slash PS variables, that's bit.ly forward slash PS variables, you'll find this tutorial. You can also search other places well, of course, but this will get you a tutorial for this very, very interesting way of automating data-driven graphics in Photoshop. Whether you're new to Photoshop or a seasoned user, learningphotoshop.cc is the place to go to learn Photoshop. With award-winning instructor Dave Cross. LearningPhotoshop.cc. Powered by Dave Cross Workshops. 
All right, we're continuing our chat with Glenn. Uh, if you want to find out more about the Veterans Project, what's the, the website that they go to check out some of what you've done? Yeah, the dedicated website for the project is 3945 portraits.com so that's the numbers 3945 which is basically for the years 39 mm -hmm. to 45 so 3945 portraits.com and they can see the various portraits you've taken yeah there's all the portraits there's a there's a blog on there which is updated there's videos on there as well in the memories section because oh, nice. i always record them sort of talking about certain things not necessarily experiences during the war but you know things that have happened during their life which is always interesting to hear about so that's on there. There's an education part, which is growing. So it teaches people about what medals mean and, mm. and what rank structure there is, all sorts of stuff. Oh, it's wonderful. an evolving thing. That's awesome. So I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, it's related to your project, because as part of your this project, you decided you wanted to present prints mm -hmm. to people. Now, when you first started, you, did you right away think, I'm going to print them myself, or did you start using a a service or a lab at first? How did I, that evolve? I was using a, a lab which I'd used for, for a while and the reason, if thinking back, why I was using this particular lab was because years ago I had a nightmare with printing. <laughs> I wasted so much money and time I could never get it right so I thought, right, that's it, I've had enough. <laughs> um, I just outsourced it to a lab. But I kind of found that when, the first, when I started doing the projects in there, like you said, I wanted to give people the pictures. I was using that lab originally. But there was a couple of things about using the lab which I was kind of getting a little bit peeved about. And one of them was the fact that it, I had, there was a delay. You know, I mean, I'm very much right. I've done that, right, let's get it printed, mm -hmm. let's get it mounted and what have you, and then I can go and deliver it. But there was always a delay with the prints. And it's no fault of the actual lab that I was using at the time, but occasionally you get some not-so-good prints slip through the net. And when I was really looking forward to delivering something, and it had to be on a certain day, the print arrived the day before and it wasn't correct. Mm. And it was, there was a little defect and it really started to annoy me. So I thought, I've got to start taking more control of this. So that's why I then thought, I'm gonna have to have a re, you know, re-look at this printing thing because surely by now I should be able to do this. <laughs> well, the first thing I'll say is, probably almost anyone who's ever printed something on their own printer can completely <laughs> relate to what you're talking about yeah, because yeah. It's, it can be, well, for many people it is, their biggest frustration is things like, why doesn't it look like it does on my screen? Mm -hmm. Or I could have sworn I'd printed one just like this last week and this week it doesn't work and those sort of things. So talk a little bit about the kind of process you went through to get to the point where, and I've seen, not in person, but I've seen the videos of your prints. I think I told you yesterday that there was one video in Facebook that at first I thought it was actually a video of the person. <laughs> and then it, the camera kind of panned back. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a piece of paper coming out of a printer. Yeah, that's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> both obviously the quality of the photography, but the print, I mean, so how did you get to that point of that previous frustration to now being com confident in getting the prints that you want? Yeah, yeah, well, the, I guess the first thing, my first consideration was what do I go for? What printer do I go for? And I remember we were at Max, I think it was last year, Adobe Max in LA, and Mark Heaps did a, a lab, and there was loads of these Epson printers at the back of the room which people were using. And the results that were coming out was like, wow, that's really cool. I really like that. So I was thinking, I'm gonna, I think that, that was probably one of the things that really sparked me to say, I'm going to do my printing. So I made the decision, I am going to get a printer. And it was originally going to be an Epson because I'd seen them working and they seemed to you know, be very easy to use. I got back and then I started looking at reviews as you do on Amazon and uh, speaking to other people. And there was always people saying, oh, that's good, but this isn't so good. And then somebody says, oh, you should look at Canon. And, blah, blah. and I got a friend who works for Canon back home. So I started looking at this one particular Canon because uh, there was something about the inks or something that he said was really good. I can't remember exactly what. Mm. Um, 
So I then looked at this one particular printer. I wanted to get the biggest one I could. Do you know what I mean? I'm just, you know, I go large. <laughs> and he said, well, if you go for that really big one, he said, that is an industrial printer. And you'll find that if you're not like selling prints on a regular basis, not, not making that thing work, you're going to spend a lot of money because those inks are going to dry up and you're going to just be in a whole world of hate. So I went for a one that was an A3 Plus printer and it was a Canon Pro 10S. And it's a 10 ink system. Yeah, so I kind of got that for a good price. It wasn't, I saw it on a trade show when I was teaching over in, uh, in London. Got that for literally half price. So maybe paid about, I don't know, 400 pounds. It would have ordinarily been around the 800 mark. Um, and that comes bundled with this Canon software that you can use, professional software for doing the prints. And I tried that a few times, but what I didn't like was it seemed very hit and miss. So every print you did, you'd look at like a little thumbnail to say, right, which one is the closest representation to what it should be? So you'd tap on this and tap on something else to then hopefully get the print you want. And I thought, that doesn't seem like the right way to do this. And it just so happens that uh, Colour Confidence, they contacted me about this. They wanted me to try because they saw I was printing and they said, we might have something that you should try just to see if it helps you and go from there. And they sent me this i1 Studio, the X-Rite i1 Studio. And I hate the phrase, but oh my God, game changer, <laughs> complete game changer. And I'm not kind of affiliated with X-Rite or Colour Confidence or anything, but this is a piece of kit that has totally fixed everything I would ever want with printing. So you can use it to calibrate your screens, as we all should do anyway. And then I also now use it to, uh, to profile the paper that I use. Now, in, you know, most people get told, you know, you calibrate your screens, and then whatever paper you use, let's say if it's a Canon or Epson paper or a Hanamule, just go to their website and download their profiles. Now I did that and I still wasn't happy with the results. Mm. So I profiled the paper myself. So this is my printer, which although it's a Canon Pro 10S, will perform slightly different to the next person's Canon sure. Pro 10S. So this is my printer profiling my paper. And it produced a, a profile which I then put into Lightroom. So now, literally, Dave, when I press print, I can just be like, yes, I know what's coming out of here. Because <laughs> literally, the f I remember the first time it, I did it, no adjustments. I pressed print, it came out, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> All these years I've wanted this. So now I am in complete control, and I am, I am blown away every time I get a print. It's just like, wow, this is just, it is addictive. Completely it is addictive. Because so many people had the opposite experience of that you know, it should be an experience of, whoa, my print. But for many people, it's like, oh, that's darker than I thought it was going to yeah. be. Yeah, and it's all well and good people saying all you have to do, because I've seen this many times, all you have to do is calibrate your screens, get your printer, and download the profiles, and away you go. Well, yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't for me. It was not working for me. By me profiling my paper on my printer, I could not be happier. So what's the process of actually doing that? So there's, as part of the... The i1 Studio the Pro, I1 Studio basically... That has like a, a little calibrator or something? Yeah, it's, it's actually quite chunky, this, this bit of kit. And basically what you do is when you want to profile a, a piece of paper, you go into the software and you click on where it says paper profiling, and then it prints out uh, an A4 or whatever size paper, generally A4, because if you're going to do that, you wouldn't do it on the big sheet because sure. it's obviously expensive. So I generally then will print out one sheet of A4 of all these different colored squares. You let that dry, and then what you do is, they're all uh, numbered, I think it's one to seven, for example. And I, I put that in front of me, and then I get this, this uh, gadget, I don't know what they actually call it, actually. <laughs> and then all I do is I press a button on the side of it, and I run it across row number one, and it beeps. Number two, roll across, beep. 
So it's reading, it kind of knows what those colors should look like. So it reads it and it says, okay, right, now I know what you're getting. It then you see something spinning on the screen and then generates another patch of colors for you to print out. So then you print those out let them dry, and then you do the old running across mm -hmm. level one and row one, two, three, four, and five, and then it knows, right, that is exactly the adjustments we need to make in the software mm. and create a profile for when you're doing your printing in this particular way. And it's just, it's such an easy process. Is that something you have to do every so often, or is it once you've done it? Well, I, I have certainly haven't done it again since I uh, did it the first time. Nice. It's, um, I, I've been sort of experimenting with other papers, so I've been doing those, you know, I'll, I'll put a new paper in, I'll go to the software, I'll print out the grids and do that, but then I'll rename it for that particular paper. So if ever I use it in the future, I'll just use a drop down in the actual profile part on Lightroom, choose that paper, press print, sit back and just smile. And it's just <laughs> like, yes. That's so awesome. I remember years ago, Matt Kluskowski and I having a discussion about someone saying, sort of said, well, it's almost like one of the things where you can sense from their question, they're expecting the 30, 20 second answer, like, well, you guys must do a lot of printing. How do you get good prints? We were kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> where do I start? Well, first of all, <laughs> some of the times we don't. <laughs> and and I think it was Matt who said, I send it to Empix. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> we're like, you know, for sometimes where you're not in a rush, a lab that you can count on is a great, and it certainly still is, but I can only imagine actually the self-satisfaction because I'm still at that point where I have a pretty nice printer, but I haven't gone through all those steps. You know, I did a little bit of calibration, but probably realistically not enough. So on the rare occasions where I do decide to print, my I'm usually I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. But I've, I've never really had that experience of going, yeah. wow. To be able to hold up a print, and you, I always put it next to my screen, and you look at you know you look at one to the other, one to the other, you think that is bang on. It really is bang on. It's just, it is really the best feeling. I think, you know, that's really interesting because I think you've really identified perhaps the missing piece. Certainly it was for you and I think for many people because I had heard the same thing. I, I did a video many years ago for MPix about how the color calibration system worked mm -hmm. and talked about, you know, adjust the brightness on your monitor so this matches. And even then I did all that, but I was still like, yeah, mm. it's pretty good a lot of the time. But that mm -hmm. idea of doing the profiling of the paper. So anytime you get an, a new type of paper you're trying out, you would do the same. I'll thing. always go through that print in those two different sheets of the squares, then creates a profile. I'll name it the name of that paper, and that's there for me to use whenever I use that paper again. Now, when you're doing the prints for this project, you were telling me that you decided to take it kind of, I would say, up a very nice level, not just mm -hmm. making a print, but tell us a little bit about the, the, the rest of the process. Yeah, and it's all, it's all about the delivery, isn't it? And, and for me, it was all about making those people feel extra special, rather than just saying, oh, you know, here's a print and it's all floppy and a bit of cellophane, thank you very much. I wanted them to be like, wow, that's, I'm, that's just lovely. So I've got a friend of mine called Robin who runs a, a shop called Pretty Light Pictures got a great relationship with him, he's such a great guy, and he, uh, I told him how I wanted to kind of, how, I said, how can I deliver these so that they look better? And he said, well, why don't you just provide them in a mount? And I was like, right, okay, so how would I do that? He says, well, you let me know what size mounts you want, and I, they're generally 11 by 11, the pictures, so he creates, I think it's like a, a 16 by 16 size mount, and he showed me, actually, you know, took me into his shop, and he showed me how to compile the mats because he either I literally phone up and say Robin can you do me 10 more and he'll go yeah no problem so I pop in collect them and I then know now how to put the picture into the mount 
That then goes into a really nice clear kind of bag, which has got the logos on, because all the logos for the projects have had put onto stickers, mm -hmm. so you put the stickers in the bottom corner. I then found a company online that I can have bespoke boxes made, and I gave them the dimensions of what the mounts are, and uh, these folks have then made bespoke cardboard boxes that these mounts fit in perfectly, and they're nice white outer. Um, and then when I'm delivering them, these print, these mounted prints go into the box. On the front of the box is a printed out label with the logo on it and their name and a little QR code in the bottom right-hand corner. Should they ever scan it or anybody scans it, it then opens up on the, the website. But it's just the whole presentation thing of there you go. So I do that. They've also got a card inside there, which has got the logo on it. I write them a little note and yeah, a little kind of little thank you thing in there. And then obviously the pin badges as well. So it's almost like, a, you know, there's a present for them. And it mm -hmm. just makes them feel so good. And the smiles you get back. And yeah, it's an investment. And I, that's what I said earlier on to people. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a cost and it's investment. But I compare that to the cost that they went through to mm -hmm. allow me to be here sitting with you. And, you, you know, me and you saying, you know, other people doing what they're doing. It's, it's, it's nothing. And in the long term, yeah, things are coming from it. But the key thing is I'd never intended that to happen. Right. Now, I imagine there are plenty of occasions where there's other family members there as mm -hmm. well, so I can only imagine what their reaction is to yeah. both seeing the print but also seeing that person's reaction to getting the it print. It's just the best. I recorded one of them, David and um, David Edwards, when I filmed him doing it, and I, I played that video earlier on. It, is just, it just epitomizes why I do what I do. When you see him and his wife Diane's reaction to getting that picture, it's just <laughs> the best. You, it's, it's, a, it's a reaction that money just can't buy. It really is. Well, you know, and the more I hear you describe it, it it just seems like the most ideal. Everything about it is ideal. It's you found something you're passionate about, but it's not just for your personal satisfaction. It's not like you do a print and then frame and stick it on your wall. It's that mm -hmm. extra step of you're presenting it to someone and you're helping bring attention to and preserve the memory of what these mm -hmm. people did yeah, yeah. so many years ago. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely grown into something that I didn't expect. But I'm, I'm really happy that it has because, you know, all the recognition that the project's getting is more recognition for the veterans. Sure. The only sad thing is, and I know I was saying to somebody earlier on, that I've kind of lined myself up for a lot of upset because none of these people, are, you know, we're all getting older. And mm -hmm. these folks, you know, every single day I see on these groups I belong to, another man down, RIP. And, you know, there's going to come a time when these people that I've become good friends with, you know, we're going to lose them. And that's, right. I know that's going to be hard, but, you know, I've just got to try and remember that. I've done a good thing here because oh, that yeah. picture now is going to be in that family forever. For sure. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for this. Was really fascinating to hear both sides of the the personal project and the the, the way that you kind of rediscovered the joy of printing. Mm. So, again, tell us the the name of the the site for people who wanted to check out the the veterans project. Yeah, sure. That's three nine four five portraits dot com. And if people want to find out more about the other kind of things you do, what, where's the best place? Yeah, the best place is just like a little hub, just my main website, which is just my name, glyndewis.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Well, I don't know about you, but that's got me all motivated to try and find some kind of a personal project and or jump back into printing. Thanks so much to Glyn for that wonderful chat. Be sure to check out his site to learn more about his wonderful Veterans Portrait Project. Thanks so much to Glenn for joining me, and I thank you so much for joining and listening. As always, please take a moment to leave a review or share this with your Photoshop-using friends. I'm Dave Cross. See you next time. Find us at TalkingShop.show. 
Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.